Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Well, take your Bibles open to Galatians 6. Uh, We're not going to go through the whole thing. I want to give you the principle from Galatians 6. We talked this morning about the reality that purity is a corporate task. It's our job to, when sin eats somebody up before somebody else, it overtakes them, when they're overtaken in a fault, to stop what we're doing, to allow it to change the direction of our life, the plan of our day, the goal of our agenda, and say, okay, time to put on the spiritual serviceman suit and enter into the fray and restore them. And, and do what needs to be done, which will involve, and I was going to go through some of the different things, but of course that would involve confronting them, lovingly confronting them. And this, Galatians 6, 3 through 5, kind of gives us the, the way to do that. And so if you look at verses 1 through 5, and if you think of the other verse, when Jesus Christ was talking to uh, his followers, he said, don't, don't try to remove a speck from somebody else's eye unless what? You with me? Unless you do what? You first get the the beam, get the beam, get the log out of your eye before you start going after somebody's speck. Well, here, here's how Galatians 6, 1 through 5 kind of, uh, kind of divvies up. Uh, verses 1 and 2 is talking about how to get rid of the speck with meekness and fear. But I want you to see something. It says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I have heard it preached that the person said, listen, when you go to help somebody in their sin, you need to understand that, it's a, that all sin is common and you don't want that sin to overtake you. So make sure that when you help somebody that you don't fall into the same sin. That is not what this is saying. What this is saying is you need to consider yourself. You need to think about your life as you go in to minister to them. And because this task of being purity police, of, of, of encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ and being pure... The biggest danger and what, what Galatians primarily deals with is that one basic moral issue of what? Us living independently of God. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, as you go in and you go into this very, very difficult place, do not go in there and allow this spiritual activity to separate you from God, to draw you away from him. Because this the, the, the sinful urge of our human heart is to go out independently, to go and say, hey, I don't need God anymore. I've got this. I can take care of this. And this happens many different ways. So considering yourself is not, well, I'm going to go deal with this person. They were yelling at their wife, and I need to really think about this so I don't get tempted to yell at my wife while I work with this fellow because he yelled at his wife. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you looking at someone going, oh, I can't believe. Don't they know better than... Let me tell you something, young man. You need to consider yourself lest you be tempted to be pulled away into this this independence from God. And then verses 3, 4, and 5 kind of of flesh that out a little bit more. So I want to look just really quickly at at these verses for just a few quick moments. And some of you are saying, after hearing uh, Brother Robertson speak, some of you are saying, wow, it would be kind of nice to have a preacher whose mind shut down after about 45 minutes of speaking. I know that's what a lot of you are thinking. I could hear it. I could hear your thoughts up front. Like, well, that'd be nice if we would just kind of have to reboot for a while. I promise I'm not going to go 45, but I want you to get this because this will be so helpful. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump in. Lord, I, I ask that you would help us to see truth. Give me wisdom in knowing what to share uh, this evening. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, encourage us, not just in Galatians, Lord, but encourage us in our prayer for our missionaries. Lord, to, to understand in a greater way how we can 
Lord, lift them up and participate in their wonderful ministries all around the world. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this confronting the sin, now this, this sin, this separation from God. Remember, we talked this morning about how license does it one way. It says, hey, I, I don't need to worry about what God thinks. I, I can do whatever I want. Legalism says, well, I'm going to help God out because he didn't define what we're supposed to do. So I'm going to tell him what we're supposed to do. So I'm going to finish God's job for him. But both of them walk away. They consciously walk away from this dependence on God. And it says there, listen, don't go into this with a, with a spirit of pride. That is what's going to defeat. And you need to consider yourself to make sure that you at no point get into the routine of I've got this. Which for me is one of the things that is so personally a large part of the struggle of having that list. Of defining, of saying, okay, this is what is right, is universal for everybody. Because once we define what is universal, and honestly... If you're a parent, if if you are a Christian, you have at some point in time in your life said, I wish God would just have said, because there's certain things our kid kid comes to us and says, Dad, why don't we, Mom, how come we can't, but let's be honest, even the things he just came right out and told us, we still struggle with, right? Thou shalt not lie. It's not like that stopped, that, that, that just well, he's pretty white and black there, so we know what to do. I guess I won't lie anymore. No, we still struggle with lying. But in the other areas that comes out, we want to walk away in this independence. So here, here's what happens. He says, I want you to, to do this because you have to, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And this is the idea of a heavy, heavy load. And he's saying, because this pride and this wandering, this pulling this away from God is such a heavy load, you need to help shoulder that heavy load and get them back to the point where they are absolutely walking with the Lord, relying on him. Okay? And then verse 3. This tells us how, 3 through 5 tells us how to deal with our beam. Okay? With the log that's in our own eyes. So let's look at it really quickly. It says, if a man thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. The emperor's new clothes. You know what this is talking about? Our biggest problem we have is when we go to help someone, going with the spirit of thinking, we're the ones that are going to help. You know, I can fix them. I can fix you. I can help you. Have you ever had somebody tell you something like that? I was, uh, I think, a sophomore at Pensacola, and I preached in a Sunday school class, and there was a a teacher that was a teacher at the college that was kind of like the Sunday school assistant or something, but they always had seminary students and preacher boys come in and preach for the class. And I remember after the class, this teacher came up to me and said, you know, you're, you're okay kind of preaching, but I could fix you. And there's no point in time when a young man wants anybody to walk up to them and say, I can fix you. It's just, it's just not, it's not something that makes you go, oh, please, yes. I, I want you to fix me. I didn't even know who this person was. And I was honestly a little bit weirded out. And I thought, why, why are you walking up and offering this? I never went to him and asked him, but primarily because he came up and said, listen, I've got the answers for the problems in your life. I was a sophomore. I didn't even think I had problems in my life at that point. Amen? I said, listen, I, I don't need this fellow. And what he is saying is saying, listen, you need to step away from this idea that you have it figured out. Which, again, goes back to the way the Galatians had been approaching life because of all of the very long an amount of time and care that had been put into the Judaism and the way and the system, and you can't carry more than one half of a fig in one hand, and you can't take more than this many steps. They had it all figured out. You could leave God completely out of the, the, the model and step right in and say, okay, we're going to make it so that you can be acceptable to God. And God was pushed out. And what happens in my, and I cannot speak for you, 
But what happens in my legalistic mind thinking is when I come to the realization that David Goforth cannot participate this or David Goforth has to do something this way is that when I see somebody not do it that way, I immediately begin to look down my nose at them and say, harumph, I can't believe that they would do it that way. I can't believe that they would have Sunday school before church. Who does that? Amen? We'll work on it. I can't believe that they would sing that song in church, that he would preach that, that he would use that version, that he would let their kids go to that place. And I look down and I judge. And you know what we call this? You can call it a lot of different things, but this pride is more of an aggressive pride. And this aggressive pride depends on self and forgets dependency on Christ and says, you know what, I can fix them. But there are ways that our pride can come out, not aggressively, but more in a timid way. Listen to what, what Isaiah says in Isaiah 51. The Bible says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their head, and they'll obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away, and I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and the son of man which shall be made as grass, and forgettest the Lord thy maker? See, there is an aggressive form of pride that says, I got this, I can do it. And we walk away from dependence on God. But there's also a timid pride, a more shy pride of, oh no, I can't do this because we still have forgotten God. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what it must be like for God to have told us as his children, I want you to do thus or thus. And then us say, yeah, but I don't know what this person is going to think about me if I do that. That, that. that would just blow my mind. If I were to tell my children, okay, girls, this is, what, this is what we're going to do. This is what I want you to do. And they came back with me and said, yeah, but we were talking to Brother Smith. And he thinks maybe we should. I would not look at them and go, oh, tell me, what, what did Brother Smith share? I would get down on their face and say, who does he have the title as your dad? My, 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 my children never did anything like that, but that would just blow me away if they came away and said, well, yeah, this person said, Dad, I was going to choose to obey you, but then I thought, you know what? I'd rather obey this person instead. And so this pride can show up as a timid pride, as a fearful pride that says, you know what? These people are more important to me than God, but it's still us protecting ourselves, thinking more of ourselves, and more, we're more worried about this person than focusing on God and what it is that he has to do. And so God says, listen, when, when you are going to go get rid of this beam, when you're going to work on this, you need to remember, it's not you that's going to do it. And if you think that you're something, when you're nothing, you're, you're, you're very, very foolish. And he goes on in verse 4, and he says this, But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul is simply saying... All of this is designed for one reason. It's designed to drive you to the feet of Christ and say, what now? And what Paul says here in verse 4 is he says, you're supposed to do what God wants you to do. Now, Brother Robinson got up here and shared about praying over two years and trying to find finding a verse, looking for a verse. That's the first time I've heard a testimony exactly like that. But I can tell you, every time we have a missions conference here and they come and we have our teenagers turn in questions for the missionaries, the number one question is, how did you know that God wanted you to go to Mexico? 
Did God give you a love for refried beans? How did you know Mexico? Or how did you know here? Or how did you know there? How did God tell you? And it's so mind-blowing. And sometimes the missionaries, you know, they will, they will have different things because they've been asked that many, many times. But most of the time it gets back to the very same thing of, well, when walking with the Lord, he says this way. And you can't open up your Bible to, to, to Nehemiah whatever or Zephaniah whatever and say, thou shalt go to the Central America. It's walking with God and he directs you. And what God says here in verse 4 is he says, listen, you do your work. And there is only one person who can tell you what your work is. Who is that? It's God. And yes, you want, pastor, give us a list. How are we going to, if we're going to be purity police, give us a list. What are we supposed to do? I'm not the one who writes your marching orders. I'm the one that encourages you how to find those marching orders. See, we go to God and say, okay, God, my, my, but you just revealed this. My wife, my child, my friend, I just realized they're overtaken in a fault. What is my job in this restoration process? What is it that you want me to do? Listen to what, what Paul says um, in Corinthians um, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, we, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. I know there's a lot of selves in there and you may have gotten lost. So listen, what Paul says is the worst thing you can do is quit going to God and asking God and look around and look at other people. Well, okay, God, you just revealed that my... my my, my, my friend, my co-worker, uh, the person who sits next to me at grace and worship, you've just revealed that they're overtaken in a fault. What should I do? Well, what's he going to do? Well, what are they doing? Well, they know. They saw it too. What are they doing? Well, they look like they're ignoring. That person is, well, I'm going to send them a kindly yet strong lettered text. We hurt our shoulder, patting ourselves on the back. Because we look at this person, we look at this person, we look at this person, and we compare ourselves with other people and say, well, hey, maybe I'm not doing this, but at least I'm... And God says, don't. Don't be of the kind that compare yourselves among yourselves. Now look what he says in verse 13. He says, we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Basically what Paul is saying is, God, Paul is saying, listen, God has given us a job. And as we get to do that job, and as we follow Christ, and he tells us what to do, and we do what he tells us what to do, guess what we're going to do? We're going to rejoice in it. And that's what we do. And, and, and that's what you do. I mean, think about the people that are serving the Lord throughout this country and throughout this world that have been a part of your ministry here at Grace. Whether in your Sunday school class, or in your Awana, or in your nursery, or in your classroom... And that young man or that young lady is somewhere serving the Lord. You doing your job, there is a certain amount of joy and you are thankful for the opportunity that you've had to invest in that person. I just talked to Edwin Lugo earlier this week. And as I was talking to him about discipleship and how he experienced discipleship at Grace, he said, well, it, it happened in the classroom here and it happened in the Sunday school classroom here and it happened in the church here and it happened in all these different places. And when you think of somebody who's out there who's serving, it's absolutely right, appropriate, and true that you should go praise the Lord that I was able to be a part of God doing this for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Paul said, I'm going to rejoice in what God has given me to do. And so what we do is we, we say, God, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? And then here's the difficulty. We rejoice in it. 
Can I tell you, the first time that you challenge somebody about their sin, don't expect them to write you a note, to give you a gift card to Chick-fil-A, and to name their next child after you. And say, I just, I'm so glad that you came to me and told me that I was sinning. Oh, that was so kind. What can I get you for Christmas? Don't be surprised if they look at you and say, are you serious? Are you really coming to me right now and telling me that I have to, and you have to continuously go back to God. God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to accomplish? What is it that you want me to work? And then you rejoice in himself alone. And here's what that means. You don't rejoice in whether or not if the person follows or what they react to the rebuke, but you rejoice in being the instrument of God's grace. That's why Paul could say, I don't care if I'm used up for you because I'm I'm serving the Lord. That's why Paul could say, I I don't mind if I'm in prison, if if the gospel's being preached because that's what God's going to do to get his word out. Well, then praise the Lord, he's put me in prison. And God has given you a work. And here's here's something else really quickly that I just want to challenge you with. That work that he's given you, he has equipped you for. One of the dangers of looking at other people, the way other people do their work, is thinking, well, I've got to do as much as them. No, you don't. You don't have to be David. Go for it. I don't think that's a problem, really, for anybody in this room. I don't think there's anybody that says, I want to be like David Goforth. But some of us probably have somebody somewhere in our spiritual walk that we're like, well, if I could be like them, if I could pray like them, if I could preach like them, if I could just do, God didn't create you to be like them. He created you, you. And when, if you look at the parable of the stewards, he did not require them to do anything else but what? Be faithful with what he gave them. And if you are faithful with what he gave you, guess what? It doesn't matter if you got 10 talents or you got five talents. You're going to get the same thing from the Lord. Well done. God does not look at your service like the American system. Well, how much have he produced? How many people have led the Lord? How many have they done this? What's here? That, 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 everything else. Praise the Lord that in 17, 18 years, they've been able to start three churches. But do you know what? If I was a missionary somewhere and I had started less than three churches, do you know what I naturally would have thought if I was sitting on that front pew, Brother Robertson? I would have thought, why doesn't God love me? How come I've only started one church? What's so special? Do I have to shave my head? Is that the key to starting churches? I mean, my, my flesh would start running down trails. What do I need to do? I'd go to them afterwards. Well, what did you do? What book do you read? What, what songs do you sing? Uh, you know, does your wife play the piano? Does she play the ukulele? What's going on? How did you get there? What's the key? Because I would think, well, if he's doing that, then I should be able to do that. No, no, no. God's given me my talents. He, wants, he doesn't want me to compare. He wants me to come to him and say, Lord, what do I have me to do? And then when God says go, then we go and do it. And then the last one, and we're done. Look at the last verse. For every man shall bear his own burden. That word burden is different from the first word burden. The first word burden is a heavy load. This one is invoice. Everyone everyone has their own invoice. (laughs) That's basically what it's saying. God has given you a certain ability. Do, Do not look at other people to pat yourself on the back and do not look at other people to say, well, at least I'm better than here or at least I've done this. Listen, some of you in here, if you absolutely got busy confronting people about their sin, the Lord is going to reveal numbers of people to you, and you're going, to be, you're, you're going to be rebuking and lovingly going to people frequently. Other people, it's going to be less frequent. And you can't stop and say, well, I have this many or this many or this many. You have to say, okay, the Lord's given me my invoice. The Lord's given me 
my task. He's given me my carved thing. This is what I carry. What is it that God, has want, that God wants me to do? And we'll end with this, 1 Peter 4. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good, what's the next word? Stewards. Can I tell you, I, I struggle with this still. I want to be a good pastor to you because I love you. But my flesh wants to have a big church so other people love me. Just be honest with you. I want to communicate the Bible well so that you understand the truths of God's word and can rejoice in the truths that I get to dig out of there. But there's also a part of me that wants to be recognized as a good preacher. Believe it or not, I like it when people say, I like it when you preach. I'm thankful that people don't leave Grace Baptist Church and go, well, he ain't much of a preacher, but at least his wife is nice. And I have to consistently and constantly battle with the culture that I'm in that says this is what success is and this is what success is. And I have to peel my eyes off of what success is and I have to run back to my king, to my savior, to my redeemer and say, Lord, what would thou have me do? And what I'm challenging you to do is if you're going to get into this purity police, that's what every moment of every day is. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to pray about this? Take them out to eat? Do you want me to go and stand and say something to them right now? Do you want me to pray for an open door of opportunity? Do you want me to write a text? Do you want me to write an email? Do you want me to look for an opportunity maybe to disciple them? What is it, Lord, that you've given me the responsibility of doing? Okay, Lord, is this it? Lord, I need you. Help me as I go in. Lord, thank you for the opportunity of doing what you've called me to do. Now I pray that you would work in only the way that you can. Lord, show me what the next step is. What is it that you want me to do now? Lord, I know what worked with this person, but I don't know if it's going to work with this person this time because it's a different thing. Lord, I need you. Lord, what do you want? And as we go, when we don't commend ourselves, we don't compare ourselves, we look at what it is that God's called us to do, we move forward in helping others be restored to wonderful fellowship and reuniting the church around the wonderful grace and mercies of God.